church? Hell no. Are you no longer feeling comfortable in church? This podcast is for individuals who are desperately missing God, but don't know how to find Him. Substance abuse, domestic violence, sex offenses, acrimonious divorce can contribute to discomfort in the church. For these individuals, church is just not an option anymore. Ordained minister Dennis Hall and his guests invite you to listen to this podcast for topics that are inspiring, uplifting, and will bring hope to those who just feel church is not relevant in their lives today. I'm Dennis Hall, and I'm delighted to have as my guest today, Dr. Mark Ford, the pastor of First Baptist Church in Highlands, North Carolina. Welcome again, Mark. Well, thank you for having me, Dennis. Appreciate it. Well, we appreciate you. And, you know, last week on this podcast, uh, we talked about all the violence across America and the cities and what the cause of that is and and, uh, what some of the alleged causes are that may not really be the causes. And uh, as I've spoken to you recently, I know you've delved in to a lot of other uh, issues and problems facing Christians in our country and really uh, around the world, you know, as a as a follower of Jesus, it's amazing. Uh, you know, Jesus teaches us to uh, love everyone, even our enemies. Uh, tells us He is the way, the truth, and the light. And here we are in a country that pretty much labels Christians as just a group of uh, hate-monitoring homophobes who can't be trusted because of the depth of their ignorance. And uh, and so it it sets a lot of us in the Christian world back wondering how in the world did we get to a point where we're so marginalized, it seems so different from our faith. And then as we you know, look around our country and see all the things swirling around us. You know, uh, on the news last night, they were talking about two million illegal immigrants have entered the uh, United States. I read this morning about another actress who's been thrown off a television cast because she had the audacity to tweet out that if you don't want to get shot, just follow the police officer's instructions. And so she was asked to leave a television cast. And and we, we read about professors being asked to leave uh, campuses because of uh, uh, something they said that seemed uh, too conservative for a uh, campus. And, uh, and, you know, people boycotting companies and corporations because uh, – Somehow they are not uh, woke, this new word we use, woke. They're not woke. And so all around us, we see these things swirling around us. You know, we have uh, uh, political leaders just openly declaring themselves socialists, some going so far as to say they embrace, uh, you know, Marxist ideas. And uh, so we have all these things swirling around us and, and, you know, uh, as you know, the Apostle Paul taught us all <laughs> in Ephesians about putting on the armor of God and even explain to us what that is. I think the problem a lot of we Christians have uh, is we're not quite sure who the enemy is anymore. Uh, I wonder if you might have some comments about how in the world did we get to this place? Well, I, 
First of all, I'd like to refer to an article by Ruth Braunstein. She wrote an article for The Guardian magazine, and the title of the article was The Backlash Against Right-Wing Evangelicals is Reshaping American Politics and Faith. And basically what she's going to say in that article comes down to this. They're getting what they deserve uh, because of our past stances. Uh, in, in the evangelical conservative churches, where we've been and where we are. And as a result, uh, this backlash is pushing us to the margins. Uh, and uh, we are going to find ourselves at the, the uh, spear point of, of vitriol and anger because of what we represent and what we stand for. And don't forget, the Apostle Paul told us in Romans, uh, chapter 8, he said the sufferings of this present time. He made it very clear, as well as did Jesus. Christianity, if it stands for the truth and it stands squarely upon the Word of God, it is going to be persecuted, okay? So uh, we should not expect anything other than this pushback uh, against us in this day and time, and then we get stuck with all these titles, as you called it, homophobic and so forth because we stand for we stand for something but uh i i actually i blame it on the church uh in many ways because of the way we've handled things past uh our uh, you know up until 1994 christianity was a a very people had a positive view basically of christianity uh we were a uh we we promoted the judeo-christian norms of society and everybody uh in fact uh, it could have negative consequences if you weren't a church-going person but then you know we went from that positive stance to 1994 to 2014 approximately and all of a sudden we find ourselves in a neutral world where our message doesn't get any more weight than anybody else's uh christianity is just another option among many. But the reason we got to that point is because of what I would call our right-wing, uh, almost politicized Christianity up until 1994, the moral majority and everything else that put us in a position of looking like we were more a political party than we were representatives of the kingdom of God. I know. And then all this, and then all of a sudden, you get to uh, 1994 to 2014, and we're just an option among many. And uh, the the whole time we've been practicing, I hope I don't offend anybody with this, but we've been so busy being both political or religious right culture war, and also we were trying to be seeker sensitive. In other words, we we're trying to say to people, listen, what is it you want, and we'll do it, so you'll come into church. In other words, uh, some kind of a watering down of the exactly. Christian faith. Exactly. And we, we said we want to be approachable. We want to be non-threatening. But the problem was is that culture was beginning to dictate to the church what the church should be rather than the church de uh, declaring to the world what thus saith the Lord. We lost the respect of the world as well as uh, the power of our message. And so all of a sudden now with the LGBTQ movement and with woke and cancel, all those things that you just mentioned, all of a sudden we find ourselves on the other end of the spectrum in which we are the ones being rejected because we're not playing in the right. game. We're not you know, playing fair. Yeah, Mark, you know, uh, when I was a young man <laughs> back in the uh, 
70s, but all the surveys pretty much reinforce this. 70% of the people in America went to church. And here we now are in the 2020s, and the surveys we see is that, you know, maybe the number now is as low as only 20% of exactly. the people in America go to church. Now, do you think that this sort of uh, uh, watering down of the Christian faith, trying to be uh, politically acceptable, has contributed to that decline in, in church attendance? Oh, but, uh, undoubtedly. Undoubtedly, because the nuns, as they're called, N-O-N-E-S, those folks are the ones who have decided to maybe look for spirituality, but they're not going to turn to the church for, for it, because first of all, they didn't buy into our seeker-sensitive, we're going to love on you approach to Christianity. Uh, they're looking for something solid, something substantial, and not somebody who's simply going to water down their message to uh, echo their sentiments that they're looking for. Uh, I think that, you know, when we look at what's happening to the church, though, Dennis, I think that we could we could talk all day about the demise of the church in Western civilization, and it's a real thing. There's no doubt about it. Uh, the main lines are crashing, and now even evangelicals are fighting with each other, and evangelicals don't even know who they are anymore because we've done this seeker-sensitive, we've done the moral majority, religious right, we've done cultural engagement where we say, oh, we'll not say anything bad about you, we'll listen to you and you listen to us kind of thing, and we just, as you keep using the word, watered down the faith, and I think that is and the, the, if we were to continue on that course, we would just disappear out of America, to be honest with you. But well, I, I mean, really, just, like, just be like a bunch of little uh, uh, country clubs, you know, right, where we just exactly. kind of meet and sing a few songs, and uh, and that's all there is to it. Well, we'd, well end, we'd end up like the churches that, by and large, in Europe for, for a long time ended up just being a place where you got uh, your child baptized, you were married, and you were buried. And uh, the, the church is pretty much sat empty and nobody pursued a belief in God or an understanding of God. But I think the crises of our days are actually now our opportunity. Our uh, I, I think that the church, even though we're going to find ourselves on the margin, we have an opportunity to say to the world, you know, your way is not working. Uh, the gospel is what is the answer to these problems. But these problems have magnified themselves. I think you'd have to have your head in the sand if you don't believe that these problems we're facing today are not unique in the way that they are flooding over us. No, you know, I, I, I remember all the names in the first century that Christians were called uh, uh, at that time, I mean, they, there were allegations made about Christians that were unbelievable as the church began to flourish and, and, and grow. And, and I'm kind of reminded that we're, we're not we're not growing right now, but but we're having the same kind of attacks launched mm -hmm. today. I mm -hmm. want to turn our attention just for a moment to something we may want to talk about more in a in a future uh, podcast that's that's at the top of the news all across this country where where people are actually having uh, protests and marches over it and that is this this whole idea of critical race theory yeah it's, it seems to be an anathema to christianity uh to for someone to even allege it what what is your understanding 
of what Christian race theory is. Well, you are jumping ahead, but nonetheless, uh, I ran into a form of this uh, when I was at Princeton, it was, but it came out more as crit critical feminist theory, uh, where, in other words, uh, the, 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 the task of many in the culture were to look for the oppressors. Uh, in my case, I was a middle-aged, white, Southern Baptist, conservative male in the midst of a liberal uh, theological seminary, and I was the enemy because I made certain stands. What critical race theory is, is, is going back to the days of Harvard and a guy by the name of Bell, uh, it, it's nothing more than an expression of what's Whatever problems we have, we'll look for the cause, and the cause is usually uh, a group of people. Critical race theory is nothing more than a form of uh, tribalism and uh, ideolo ideology that says uh, you're the oppressor, we're the oppressed. And for as far as I'm concerned, critical race theory is nothing more than reverse racism. It's it saying seems to, that way. Yeah, it's yeah. saying it's saying to. Uh, a group of people, you know, if uh, if we could fix all the problems you've caused, we'd be better off. But you're the ones that caused it. Uh, and uh, it goes like to the 1619 thing. We're going to rewrite history uh, because of slavery. That's when slavery began. And so that's where we should begin to measure the beginning of our nation, because this nation was built on the back of the oppressed uh, minorities. And I, I, when I look at critical race theory, I'm looking at a group of people who are wanting to blame someone for the problems in our world. And in this case, it happens to be the majority, the white, uh, and especially the white middle class. Critical race theory is not just about racism. It's also about uh, geopolitical and socioeconomic oppositions. Uh, in other words, it's the kind of Robin Hood, steal from the rich to give to the poor. And uh, I'll just say it out loud because I believe this with all my heart. Critical race theory is very much rooted in neo-Marxism. Well, it seems, man, you know, and we have we have leaders in this country who have gone so far as to admit that they embrace uh, uh, this Marxist uh, ideology, you, you know, to me. When you begin to tell people that uh, their condition is based on the color of their skin, this is not good for people, whether you have white skin or black skin or some color of skin in between. I would not want to be told that because of the color of my skin, I'm an oppressed person, you know, especially in a country where we've had people of color in the highest offices of this land and uh, successful people who've achieved uh, economically, all people of color. And I would not want to be told that I'm an oppressed person, uh, right. regardless of the color of my skin. Right. Because what you're, what the uh, 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 CRT and wokeism, what wokeism does, its trademark is equity. Uh, we used to think we were a nation built on equality. Everyone had equal opportunity. But now woke and CRT and these, so, uh, I call them cultural Marxist ideas, uh, the, the trademark is equity, which in essence means we want to ha have equal outcomes for everybody. But do you know what that does? Uh, 
What that does is that destroys a very biblical idea of merit. Uh, meritocracy, a guy by the name of Hanson said, meritocracy is, is libel so that we're governed by ideology and tribe. In other words, we're no longer a nation that says if you work hard, you earn it. Book of Proverbs teaches us this. That's right. You work hard, you earn your way, you get to the rewards of your hard work. We and But now, if you're a part of the meritocracy, the people who worked hard and invested and tried to better themselves, you're the bad guy because it works against equity, which means everybody being equal in the outcomes of their lives. And that's not what the Bible teaches. I, th- I think you're exactly right. You know, Mark, you know, as we sit here this morning, uh, uh, we see our country engaged around the world in many ways. Uh, some might say right now we might be on the brink of war over yeah. the Ukraine situation. Uh, and uh, the same is true over the Taiwan situation in another uh, part of the world. Uh, so we have all of these issues swirling around. We have all these Middle Eastern cunt, uh, Muslim countries who have identified the United States as their enemy. Uh, and I must say along with Israel. And, and not only that, uh, uh, those, those, uh, ch- those church states in the Middle East uh, have identified Christianity, and I might even say the Jewish people as uh, as their enemies. So we have all of these issues uh, swirling around us, and uh, you know, here again, uh, it, it has implications for what goes on in this country and how uh, how Christians should be- behave. At the same time, you know, we're seeing uh, uh, all of this economic upheaval about whether. We should be putting in place economic sanctions for people who've uh, declared our, themselves the uh, the enemies of the United States, uh, as as well as other things that that have to do with these countries and the people in these countries. And uh, you know, whenever we've done something uh, to thwart the entry of individuals from those those countries into the United States, uh, again. Uh, people get labeled hate mongers. And then we got the overriding thing right now, uh, all of these uh, uh, discussions about climate and, and what our responsibilities are to be good stewards as Christians. You know, where do we stand with regard to the swirling, uh, what we might call the, the problems of the world? Well, I th- before before you can... Uh, address those problems, you've got to have a good grasp of what they are and the confluence of all these problems. You've mentioned the world problems like climate. We've got all the geopolitical upheavals. And and by the way, United States is on its way down. We are going to be uh, falling behind China if we're not already in so many ways. Uh, We've got terrorism. But the worst part is the decline in Western civilization itself and our Judeo-Christian values absolutes. There's all the global inequities, and of course, people hate you when you're wealthy and they're not, and I can understand that. And then our national problems, racial, political divides, economic divide. If you don't know that things are costing more at the store, you've not shopped lately. And uh, hypersexualization, loss of freedom of speech, all of these things are, are t- but Dennis, to me, we as Christians are not going to fix those problems 
It's going to take the intervention of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of God, which he can do, but it will not happen until the church addresses its problems. Yeah. And the church problems, we have a decline in devotion and commitment to the body of Christ. We have a decline in tithe and giving. It's it's in a free fall, discipleship, prayer, loss of piety, holiness. The family is fragmented in the pew, not just outside the church. The loss of marriages, uh, raising children, pornography is killing us. It's in the pews and the homes, the invasion of what is called hypersexualization in its various expressions as LGBTQ. Uh, and, and all of this it speaks to what a guy by the name of Victor Hansen called a systems collapse. I'm a historian. Other historians would tell you when you look at American society today and you look at what's happening to us, we're, we're approaching a systems collapse. And that's defined as nothing more than the ability. In, see if this doesn't sound familiar to you, Dennis. The sudden inability of a once prosperous population to continue with what it had ensured as the good life as they knew it. And abruptly, the population cannot buy, find once plentiful necessities. Their streets are unsafe. Laws go unenforced or, in, or are enforced inequitably. Justice no longer exists in the land. And every day, things begin to stop working. And the government itself turns from reliable to capricious, if not hostile. Does that sound familiar? That sounds very familiar to what's going on. Going on in America. Yeah. So if, if we're heading for a systems collapse and many... Uh, sociologists and Christian sociologists would say so. I don't think the thing the church wants to do is go find a monastery, though you know at times I'd probably like to do that, and uh, just go hide behind the walls of a monastery. No, it's rather to take the stand that we were encouraged by Paul uh, to do is to, to assess the sufferings of this time and begin to declare to the world not seeker-sensitive ideas, not to declare to the world, here's how we're going to politically fix things, because the moment the church puts on a political robe, they lose their, they lose their credibility. I think it's time for the church to declare, yes, things are bad. The prophets did. My gracious, look at the prophets. That's all they did was say the Lord's judgment is headed this way. But they weren't doing it just to be sour pusses. They were doing it to declare to the world things are bad, but if you repent, God will heal you. Right. And, uh, and of course, we hear a lot of Christians talking about that uh, today in reference to our country and the conditions that we see all about around us. You know, we've got uh, listeners of this podcast that uh, will be wondering, okay, I understand how the church has gone array, but what am I supposed to do? What am I as an individual supposed to do as a follower of Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I understand that question. And that's in this, uh, this study that I'm presently conducting and the work that I'm trying to do with my church I'm trying to make sure that we don't just curse the darkness without getting some sense of where do we go with this and what is the answer, uh, how are we going to address these issues? And, and, and just let me give you, based on my sense of what you and I, you and I, you and I have been using a big brush today. 
We sure have. I hope we okay. get a chance to drill uh, down uh, here in the next yeah, couple of weeks. Yeah, we want to drill down. But let me give you, I, first of all, I think it starts with a sense of urgency. And I'm, I'm going to give my personal testimony on this in this sense. I, will, I came to the conclusion I could not sit on the sidelines anymore. Right. I felt like it's time to declare not only the urgency I felt in my heart, but to declare it to the uh, the rest of the world. David Jeremiah may have said it best. He said, "There's we are one existential crisis from a one world government and the collapse of, of, of the world as we know it. That's and scary. The one, and the ones that will be caught in the middle of the vice of this thing will be God's people. We already yep. see that we're the ones that are going to be blamed and persecuted. And as you noted back in the early church, when Rome was having its problems, who did they blame? The Christians. The Christians. That's, That's right. right. So we, I, I think there's a sense of urgency. And as a result of that, uh, I'm going to use the words of Rod Dreher in, in his book, Live Not My Lies, when he said it's time to live out our convictions and stand for the truth at any cost. We cannot be still and we cannot be silent and we cannot live by lies. In other words, Every time we hear something that's not true, any time we hear something that's unbiblical, we can't just for the sake of tolerance and getting along any longer just say, well, okay, you believe what you want to believe and I believe what I want to believe. It is time for us to live out our convictions so they can see what we believe, but also it is time to begin to trumpet those beliefs and we can do it in love. Don't hear what I'm not saying. We can do it in love, but we have got to declare clearly what we believe and let the world hear the gospel because it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. And leave leave those results to him. But in the meantime, uh, it was Alexander Solzhenitsyn in his Gulag Akhbalako. He said, in keeping silent about evil. In burying it so deep that no sign of it appears on the surface, we're just implanting it and it will rise up a thousandfold in the future. We either address it now or the weeds are going to get thicker, he said. You're, well, I think he's exactly right, and you're right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just so wonderful to see a pastor uh, take the kind of stand that you're taking, say it, it's time to trumpet. It's time to trumpet our beliefs. It's time to trumpet our faith. Uh, we're not to be uh, a wilting flower during these times. We are, we've got to stand tall. You know, uh, it, over in, uh, in the Romans 12, uh, 21, I think, uh, we see the Apostle Paul, what's he say? He says, do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with good, good. And, you know, that's that's what you're uh, telling us today and telling our our listeners today. Uh, You know, we're running out of time for this podcast, but we're going to have you back where we can drill down into uh, more of these things. Uh, Pastor Paul, you know, uh, it was the uh, actually Abraham Lincoln who said, be sure to put your feet in the right place, then stand firm. Now, in today's climate, that's the mantra that those of us who believe in God and follow Jesus 
must embrace. Thank you so much for being with yes, us sir. today, uh, Pastor Thank you. Paul. I will. Uh, Mark, I, I, yes, I, you're, you're referring to, I, 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 I'm not the Apostle Paul. That's I'm, right. I'm Pastor, <laughs> Pastor Mark, <laughs> right. We, we, yeah, I was so wrapped up in thinking about the Apostle Paul. Listen, uh, okay. uh, we will, we will. We'll have an opportunity to drill down more. We thank our okay. listeners today for listening to us today. And uh, and we would leave by saying to you, yes, put your feet in the right place and then stand firm. God bless you. God bless. Thank you, David.